Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Now I know I just offended all you pessimists out there because you'd rather take the more correct term, you're a realist, right? But which one are you? Optimist or pessimist? And if you would have raised your hand and said, I am an optimist, are you one of those incurable, enduring optimists? Like, are you, are you one of those people for whom the glass is always, you know, it's never half empty. Like, there, there's nothing that could make it empty. In fact, for you, the glass is always just full. There's always joy to be found in life, and you are just always filled with positivity. You're one of those kind of optimists? And if you are, well, the rest of us, we love you. And we also kind of hate you a little bit too. All right? Especially those realists among us, because sometimes we just can't see any reason for joy, any reason for happiness, and we don't want you to try to convince us otherwise, right? Like sometimes if you're the realist and you just, man, you just want to slap that smiling Stanley who's got something positive to say when no one really wants to hear it. Optimist or pessimist? And today, as we think about our worldview, I hope that you'll see that the biblical worldview allows you to be an incredible optimist, that it fills you with just an incredible optimism for life. And that this optimism, it is based on something that is real. And so as I continue to invite you to think about the implications of your worldview, the, the consequences of whatever worldview that you have, as we take a look at the biblical worldview, it's going to provide that optimism when it comes to the question of destiny. Where am I going? Where am I going when I die? And so whatever biblical, whatever worldview you have, whether it's the biblical one or not, what is the answer that it gives to that question, where am I going? And when you ask that question and you look out at the world, the experience that we have maybe leaves little room for optimism. Because in this world we face pain and we feel suffering and there is trouble and our experience tells us all of that. And the thing is, the, the biblical worldview, it does not shy away from those experiences. In fact, the biblical worldview actually does what realists so often want the optimists to do, is to open their eyes, right, and see the disaster that surrounds them. But a biblical worldview does that. It opens our eyes to see the disaster that is around us that surrounds us. It doesn't shy away from it. The, the deep consequences of sin, they do make optimism somewhat difficult to grab hold of. And so as we explore today, we're going to be picking up in Genesis chapter 3. And if you haven't been able to be a part of our worship over the last few weeks, and you haven't 
heard the other messages in this series, I definitely encourage you to go back and listen to them because it provides a lot of the context for where we're starting today. But here we are, we're after mankind has chosen their own morality. They have rejected God's goodness and they have gone on their own path. And now God has confronted them. And God lists off and he highlights some, but not all, of the consequences of this disobedience, this rejection of God's goodness. And he starts by speaking to the woman. And it's clear here, we're going to see that these consequences, they affect every area of life. But he begins by saying this. He says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Wow, I am sorely underqualified to talk about this. But I do know that it is painful. That labor and delivery is filled with physical pain. Something that God intends to bring incredible joy, and it still does bring incredible joy, but it is through excruciating pain. And even with the modern medicine of epidurals and the surgical precision of cesarean sections, there still is pain involved. There is recovery involved after childbirth. But maybe here it's a little bit easier to be an optimist because there is something joyful there, right? A successful delivery of a healthy baby is incredibly joyful. But I think that God's words here, they really point us to more than just the physical pain of labor. And when you think about that, then more of us might be qualified to share our experiences. Because then women and men have felt what God is talking about. There may be some of you here in this room who know what I'm talking about because you maybe have had to sit in the doctor's office waiting and listening for a heartbeat that never came. And maybe you know what it's like to spend those restless, completely sleepless nights in a neonatal intensive care unit hoping that the news that would come would continue to be positive and maybe that news Never was. Some of you men, you've had to hold the hands of the women that you love through those kinds of experiences as tears filled both of your faces. Maybe as a family, you've had to plan for how your life would be changed and impacted for the rest of it because of a missing chromosome. And none of those things were present before the fall into sin. Right? Childbirth had been an easy, beautiful, wonderful thing. And and now, now there were these consequences as all of nature had been plunged into this cursed state by humanity's choice to disobey and rebel. And in those situations, maybe it's a little bit harder to find optimism. 
Because this incredible, joyful experience, what God had intended to be for joy and happiness among humanity, now that experience is riddled with pain, both physical and emotional. And relationships, too, are riddled with pain. That was something else that God had intended to be incredibly joyful, but it was no longer the case. He said, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, first of all, I need to say, men, this is not a direction from God. This is not God's directive for men. It's not his advice to you. Rather, this is a corruption because the Bible talks about this very biblical thing of male headship and leadership, this loving, selfless leadership that men would live out. But now as men, we really struggle with that. We struggle deeply and instead we we fall into unloving, selfish, domineering attitudes. And so from this point forward, men would struggle with that. From this point forward, men would use their, their power, their muscle, their ability, whatever it was, to domineer over women. And women too would struggle in their relationships. They would seek completeness and fulfillment in men. Which is not a bad thing. It's a good and godly thing when you first recognize that you are complete in your creator God. And you seek out that fulfillment in loving, fully committed relationships, marriages. But women would start to seek it in some unhealthy and damaging ways. And we witness that today as well, don't we? Young girls who want to feel loved and accepted, and they think that the only way for that to happen is through sex. And sometimes that thinking doesn't change as you grow older. And each and every one of us, we know, men and women, we know that in relationships there's guilt on our own hearts for the ways that we have damaged them, for the ways that we've come with selfish, self-serving, unloving attitudes into such relationships. They were going to be a struggle as well. The consequences of sin were there as well. And the outlook really doesn't become any rosier when God speaks to man. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Work also was impacted by this fall into sin. What in God's grand design, his deliberate design, had been a joyful labor of love, now it was going to be overbearing and burdensome. It was going to be difficult. The the land, the, the earth, would become almost like an unwilling participant in the sustaining of human life. It would take sweat and hard work to get that good fruit and benefit from the ground Instead of producing that, that good, pleasing, overabundant fruit that was in that garden that God had created, now the earth would produce thorns and thistles. But it's much broader than just what it would impact an agrarian society, right? We, we feel this today as well. Work is a struggle. 
And yes, I do think there's a little bit of biblical precedent here for thinking that your computer is cursed when it moves into untimely updates and shutdowns on you unexpectedly. I think there's a biblical precedent for that here, right? Work is cursed, but it's, it's bigger than that. The relationships that we struggle with, the bosses and the co-workers that we have to deal with, and the frustration that comes from that. For some, they're struggling to live paycheck to paycheck, and when they come up just a little bit short, then they have to make that decision, do I keep a roof over my head or food in my fridge? And I know that that's not many of you who are in the room here this morning, but maybe you've had your own struggles with work. When you feel exhausted, when you're overly frustrated, when you wish that maybe you could just quit and you could do something completely, entirely different with your life, but you're too afraid. We often lose out on the meaningful purpose and the joy that God desires to give us in work. But what really drives home the pessimism is the real-life fact that punches the hardest, that after all of our work and all of our labor, what's the end result? What's our destiny? God finished what he said to Adam with these words. He said, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken for dust you are, and to dust you will return. That's the punch to the gut. That's the ultimate in realism that death is the destiny for all. And you can't escape it. You can't avoid it. Realism forces us to understand this. Now you think about how those words must have just like boomed as this massive echo into the still silence of the air for Adam and Eve. Stopped them dead in their tracks because they had literally never thought about this concept before. This was a strange, eerie, terrifying thought that their life would end. And still for us today, it's strange and terrifying. We recognize, realism forces us to recognize that this is not natural. This is not what God has intended for our life. And so we can't live in denial, and yet those questions about death from our five-year-old, those are the hardest to answer, right? And how does your worldview answer that question? When it comes to death, does your worldview try to manufacture some kind of you-only-live-once type of optimism? This optimism that says, hey, because death is coming, it means that you need to take advantage of every single moment. Carpe diem, seize the day, live with urgency, find joy in, in your immediate surroundings, do whatever you can to accomplish something before the end comes kind of optimism that Neil deGrasse Tyson shared with Larry King in an interview. By the way, Larry King died last week, so I hope that was helpful for him. But that's not really optimism, is it? 
As much as it may be true that it gives you a sense of urgency in the immediate and the right now, it's not optimistic. And it provides no comfort at the graveside of a loved one. Or as much as we might try to convince ourselves that a eulogy of the good things, the good accomplishments that they had in their life can somehow make that hole that death has caused smaller, it just isn't true. We long for something better than that. We long for healing. We long for joy in the midst of suffering. We long for a better worldview. And we long for what we have lost. We long for real optimism. But apart from the intervention of our divine creator, death is all there is in our destiny. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. Which makes me think that Adam must have been one of these just incurable, enduring optimists. Did it strike you what comes right after that? If you look at it, right after dust you are and to dust you will return, listen to this. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living So immediately on the heels of mankind's depressing destiny as a return to dust, Adam literally named his wife Life. Now how, how, what accounts for such optimism? Like what accounts for such a beautiful name? And how could Eve possibly accept it? But Adam and Eve, they were the first two human beings who lived with a biblical worldview. And they had tasted the the wonderful beauty and majesty of God's creation. They knew from what heights they had fallen. They knew what they were missing out on, but they also knew that they could trust in God's goodness again. They could trust in God's promises, that promise that he was going to send one who was going to crush the serpent who was going to crush everything that makes this life sad and troublesome. It trusted in the promise. And it provided that optimism for them. And the biblical worldview, it gives you the same foundation for such optimism, joyful optimism in your life. A joyful optimism that has a real basis and a real reason because it's founded on the promises of God. Adam and Eve recognized that their past choices, their sins, it didn't doom them to this death, but rather that God's grace was present for them. God's grace was there in his promises that there was a Savior who had come from the race of humanity and he would conquer And it's those very same promises of God that allow you to look past scary things like COVID and cancer and everything else that is troublesome and worrisome about the world in which we live. To look past it and find joy. To know joy, a joyful optimism. To know that it's going to be okay, but it's going to be better than okay. A biblical worldview, yes, it opens your eyes to see 
the true disaster that surrounds, but it also opens your eyes to see the God who saves and protects from that disaster. The biblical worldview knows Jesus. It focuses on Jesus, the Son of God who was sent to be that Savior. And God's grace, it was there in that garden. God, by his grace, he drove Adam and Eve out of that garden because he did not want them to live a forever life in this fallen, cursed state. But that there was a better forever life filled with joy and optimism. So while Adam and Eve, they may have desperately wanted to grab from that tree of life and eat that fruit and live forever, the biblical worldview speaks of a tree from which you can eat and truly have a joyful forever life. It speaks of the tree on which a perfect man hung and died. The biblical worldview tells you that that man, he became the tree of life for you, that Jesus is your tree of life because he took the curse upon himself. You notice that in Genesis, God never directly cursed Adam and Eve. That curse would fall on his own son. A curse would fall on him as he hung on the cross. Jesus assumed that curse for us. And he died for it. Blood and sweat trickled down Jesus' furrowed brow as he labored for your salvation. And it was through pain, both physical and emotional, that Jesus bore the wrath of God in your place and took away your sins and forgave you. And we know that we can rest securely on that foundation because Jesus changed the destiny for all of humanity. It allows you to live with this unrivaled, enduring optimism, an optimism that doesn't just look past and ignore the signs of trouble in this world, but it sees those as signs that point ahead to a greater future, a better hope, a joyful life. The life that is to come because you know that the cavernous, chiseled out stone tomb that held Jesus' body as supposedly its final resting place wasn't. That death was not the destiny for Jesus, but resurrected glory. A resurrected glory that now invites you into God's presence and gives you hope for God's presence where those angelic cherubim, they're not going to be swinging a flaming sword to keep you away, but instead they're going to be inviting you to step into this place of light and life. That's the optimism that a biblical worldview gives. The optimism that only a biblical worldview can do. Amen.